0: Everybody, welcome to another episode of Undying Light. I am your host, Alex, and I just want to say very quickly, thank you for tuning in. You guys are the sole reason I do this show every week and continuously etch time into my late nights and uh, get some of this content recorded because that is what I owe you, the listener. Is good, sound, biblical podcasts and. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this series so far. We are this week and next week uh, away, so literally two episodes away from concluding our All of It Discourse series uh, in this bigger, broad series of eschatology, and then uh, we will start looking at some Pauline eschatology uh, going forward. We're just going to look at a handful of passages, I'm probably thinking uh, only a Depending on how much uh, I decide to to uncover there, um, only a couple of episodes at most. I think we're going to try to keep it very simple, and uh, we're going to keep it uh, pretty straightforward. There's just there's so much content out here, um, and and I want to try to stay very true to the purpose of this series, and that was unpacking, you know, the the really difficult texts that surround. The end of times. And so we do get some of that from what Paul writes. Uh, We get some of that from what Peter writes, and we will be examining those uh, in depth before we get to the book of Revelation. And then obviously we'll look at the book of Revelation. So that is what we've got on tap. Um, I'm pretty sure left in this series, we are still north of 30 episodes, which is going to put us well into the year. Uh, And then we'll probably wrap this, um, You know, closer to the end, and then we'll start our next series, probably just in time to take a quick break from that for our Christmas series. I think, you know, it's interesting that every year uh, I want to start doing a little Christmas series. Um, I thought about doing a little break around Easter for a small Easter series, but this year, because of the, the, the weight that the eschatology series has placed on us, I think we'll just do a bonus Easter episode. Uh, and we'll kind of broadly skim the life of Christ quickly and uh, get to um, Holy Week, and then we will do uh, a journey through that. So we'll do one one night on, on Easter. So uh, it probably won't drop Easter morning, might drop Saturday. I don't know yet. That's still a little bit out. I have a lot of planning to do because, you know, being a pastor of a church, um, all of that comes onto my shoulders, and we've got... Lent services coming up and I've got Wednesday morning, um, teaching over at uh, one of the elderly care centers on top of the normal Sunday morning services on top of school and on Dying Light. So you guys uh, are still getting episodes produced weekly. I don't sleep. That's how I do it all. There's my secret. It is out of the box. So guys, I had a lot of fun recording last week. I thought it was a great episode and it really was the just a good opportunity for me to just kind of come onto the mic and kind of work through one of my uh sermon series that I did when I interviewed for the church that I'm currently at. And it was a couple of sermons that I did, and we're gonna look at part two of that sermon today. And, you know, I, I was really um I felt like I was able to kind of express some more emotion into the episode than I have in the past. And so that kind of stuff is exciting for me. I, you know, this is a great series. There's so much to it. Um, I think we're in the ballpark of the twenty-something episode by now, and we've covered a lot of ground. We've covered a lot of topics, and so, it, you know, go back and re-listen to some of them because there's just so much out there. And 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 as I've mentioned a few times, don't take my word as 100% truth, because your hermeneutic may differ from mine. I'm just trying to present this content in a very unbiased manner and trying to present if, you know, there are uh, countering views or if there's an alternative view to the text, I try to present that as well, because I don't want, I don't want you guys to just think, oh, you know, there's this guy, you know, he's only just talking about it from an amillennialist perspective you know, or a dispensationalist perspective, whatever your camp is like, I don't want to put myself into that and make it that that's me, right? I, I want you guys to hear this and say, oh, wow, I never really caught it like that. So now as you read the text, you start to think about it and it starts to to build your hermeneutics out. Excuse me. I still got a bit of a stuffy nose that I've been kind of battling for the last couple of weeks. Nothing Nothing else on that, which is nice, but just you, know, you kind of get that stuff he knows every so often, especially when I'm talking a lot. So uh, bear with me as I'm trying to you know, just work through some of that stuff this episode. But anyways, uh, so a couple of things before we get into the heart of it, we're going to look at today uh, another parable in Matthew 25. Uh, we're going to look at the parable of the tenants. And uh, we will be digging into that context starting with the 24th uh, verse. I'm sorry, not the 24th, the 14th. My apologies. So uh, as my logos is crawling to bring it up here. So uh, before we get into the heart of that, just a few quick reminders. First, uh, obviously, you guys, you know that this is a listener-supported podcast. So those who help financially support me, all of that money goes into um, cultivating this show, paying for all the services, and uh, and, and handling everything that I need expense wise to produce this show. Uh, not only that, but any content or anything driven by Reform Lifestyle on Instagram or any other um, platform that I've been using to produce content, it is solely based to further Undying Light Ministries. So, with that, guys, you know, I, as I mentioned last week, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but. I don't set out tiers, so I don't ask for uh, five or ten or twenty dollars for you to get certain, you know, to unlock certain things. One dollar a month gets you all of the content that I do, which is bringing me into my second point. I'm actually going to start doing uh, bonus episodes for just my patrons. So uh, I, I get them on the mic sometimes for Tuesdays, and we release those as bonus episodes onto this platform that you can listen to and enjoy. But I'm going to do personal uh, bonus episodes strictly for them. So there's going to be content and probably a series at some junction uh, going forward that will be exclusive for them. So just another bit of an incentive, right? On top of the Bible study and all the other content that I deliver, uh, $1 a month, you could throw it on a credit card and literally forget about it. And you can get yourself into this wonderful family Uh, and community that is the Undying Light Ministries. So you can hit me up in DMs or you can check out my bio, reformed underscore lifestyle. The link is there or even on Undying Light Ministries Instagram page. The link is there as well to come on and be a patron and uh, join this wonderful family that has come alongside and supported me. With that, as always, merchandise is always available. You can get your shirts, hats, sweatshirts, tote bags, coffee mugs. Those have been pretty popular lately. Everybody seems to get a coffee mug. And I will put any quote that you want on it, any Bible verse that you want on it, just let me know. Uh, hopefully, that uh, that will continue to go forward. So, with that, um, ladies and gentlemen, you know, the, the only thing I'm really waiting on at this juncture is my logos to heat up here. Uh, it's a You know, it's a big file, and my computer that I'm uh, now recording on is a little bit uh, on the older end. Uh, Funny enough that my, you know, my ministry machine, um, my really good laptop, sits upstairs in my office, and uh, I don't generally record on that because then I'd wake up my wife and my daughter, and that's not a smart move. So I have to uh, kind of bear with me here as I'm, you know, punching through the... uh, uh, this machine I got, it's, you know, it's, a I don't know, it's, what, it's five years old now at this point. It was my old work machine that I had from my last job, and they just kind of let me keep it after I stripped it f- of all the other junk. Anyways, another story for another day. Um, So now that my Logos is up, and by the way, um, I've had some people buy it, uh, buy copies, and they absolutely love their Logos software. And I've done, I did like a quick tutorial on it a while back, uh, kind of how I use it. And I might do another one. I did one privately for the patrons and kind of showed them how I prep for shows and how I prep for um, sermon preps and things like that. So I might do one for Instagram and just kind of do a quick overview and a walkthrough of like, hey, this is how I use Logos and all, some of the new features in Logos 9. But uh, their website's got some really great tutorials on how to use it. So it's not anything that you can ever you know, really fall away from. But, you know, guys, I know some of you hate my early banters. Um, but I want to dive into this show before we get uh, too wrapped up in other stuff. So Logos.com forward slash undying light. So, guys, here we are. We're at the uh, the last parable now in um, in this in this little series. So we, we've kind of taken uh, this big Big series and chunked it into little pieces as we've moved along. And uh, the Olivet Discourse was one series and um, we split it up over a number of shows. And now we're in the middle of February by the time this show will air. And we have finally come to the last parable. However, next Friday, uh, we will discuss the final judgment. And that is um, the last bit that Jesus tells us here. Uh, in this Olivet Discourse. So, starting with the 14th verse, I'm going to read it all the way through the 30th, and here we go. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. And who had received the five talents went at once and traded with him, and he had made another five talents. So also he had, he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received one talent went in and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled the accounts with him. And he had received the, he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more saying, master, you delivered to me five talents here. I made five more talents for you. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I know you are a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scatter no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid the talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received what is my own with interest." So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the utter darkness. In that place there will be we- uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Goodness gracious, what an absolute gut punch of attacks right there, right? 'Cause it kinda has this, you know, the the backwards thinking of what we're used to in in, in in regards to the Christian theology, right? Is uh those who have little will be given more. But Jesus is making it very clear here that the good and faithful servants, the the one who had five and the other who had two, uh, will be given more. They were faithful over what they were originally charged with, and therefore their uh obedience in those realms will incur more of a reward however the wicked uh servant the worthless servant uh could not and did not obey his master's order so uh, he hid the talent and went off and uh um gathered no nothing additional he didn't work or you know cultivate anything out of that so he uh gets told you know that uh Basically, he failed, right? Because that's what it is. Jesus says in 26, but the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew I reap where I have not sown and gathered, where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I have re- I would have, should have received what is my own with interest. So what is a talent? Well, there's a note back here all the way back in Matthew 18, uh, talking about 10,000 talents in that verse in uh, chapter 18, verse 24. In the Old Testament times, a talent was a unit of weight equaling about 75 pounds. In New Testament times, this unit of monetary reckoning, though not an actual coin, uh, valued at about 6,000 drachmas, the equivalent of about 20 years wage for a laborer. A common laborer earned about one denarius per day. In approximately modern Equivalence if a labor earns fifteen dollars an hour at two thousand hours per year, he would earn about three thousand dollars per year. A talent would equal six hundred thousand dollars hence ten thousand talents in this particular verse um, i hypothetically represents an incalculable debt in today's terms about six billion dollars so That's the throwback here from the ESV study Bible as it's talking about talents here, chapter 25, referencing back in 18 where we see it and get a bit better uh, definition for it. And, uh, you know, what it's doing is it's showing the weight, the actual value of it. So this is a considerable amount of money uh, that these individuals have given. So if you think about it, um, it's not an actual Currency. It's not a coin. It's just seventy-five pounds. It's a weight of something. So, uh, it, it it was a unit of monetary reckoning, though not an actual coin. And it's valued at about six thousand drachmas. Now, that can be a little confusing. So let's look at what this word is and see if I can get it pulled up on my screen. Uh, maybe I think I'm going to break my <laughs> my logos again because my computer's just struggling tonight. Um and it looks like I'm trying to get a good definition of it here. Looks like there's a few uh verses that are throwbacks to uh there's two here in Nehemiah, but this one is in second Maccabees, but we don't really care about that too much. There's a few more, obviously, Luke. Um I'm trying to get a definition and see if I can't figure out what this value is. Um so let's see here it's a value of a common uh drachma and I can probably even pronouncing this uh pronouncing it wrong so forgive me if I am cuz uh, I'm not very good at other languages so made a uh, very near half a shekel and four uh drachmas made nearly a shekel so it's another weight um of value is another currency that or another type of coin so valued at about 6000 uh, the equivalent of 20 years wage for a laborer so that just the the 20 years kind of gives you a good picture here that's a considerable amount of time for these people so if you're you know and and obviously lifespan in this time period is not going to be 99 years so if you're living you know to 60 and you're working up until that 20 years of wages is is a considerable amount. So if you get 5 talents, 2 talents and even 1 talent, that's a lot of value there. And the 2 talents or the 2 uh servants with the 2 talents and the 5 talents respectively um you know, did their master right by going off and earning those wages and you know, doubling their rate. So Let's do a little recap here, right? So we have been in the Olivet Discourse over the last uh, handful of weeks, spanning from chapters 24 and 25. This is indeed a very rare time that Jesus has with his disciples. And the interesting thing, and and I've mentioned this a few times, that we don't get this personal one-on-one time that Jesus has with his disciples. And I find it interesting, instead of Jesus telling them uh, how to live or, you know, setting up like rules and boundaries for the church and death. I mean, we get a little bit of the church foundation back in Matthew 18, but we don't get this like, you know, Peter, you will be the lead of the church, and therefore I want you to do these things. Um, John, you're gonna be in charge of this. Jesus isn't doing any of that. In fact, what Jesus is doing here is he's teaching on these the signs of the end of times, right? When when will it be evident that he's coming back? And so it's interesting that in his literally his final moments with his disciples, this is the agenda that's on tap here. So, and as you know here after uh Chapter 25 concludes, 26 opens with the plot to kill Jesus, and uh, we get right into this, right? Uh, Judas betrays him, the Passover, the disciples, the upper room, the institution of the Lord's Supper. Um, Then we get into the betrayal and arrest of Jesus at the end of 26, and uh, all the way through to where Jesus is delivered to Pilate in in chapter 27. So, it moves quite quickly here this is literally the night that uh, he's arrested so there's literally no time gaps here between uh or I'm sorry this is the the week of the arrest is not the night my apologies but we're really close here to uh the end of his ministry it is coming right to an end so this is obviously his final discourse and his final sermon that he is delivering and uh, you know it's it's a it's a lengthy one, two chapters. You know, the I think the only one that compares in size is the Beatitudes, which spans three chapters, found in Matthew five, six, and seven. And uh, you know, in in that we get more of the picture of what you know the Christian's life is going to be like. You know, blessed are the meek, and blessed are the poor in spirit, things like that. So. This has a very different context to it, and it's very unique in its manner and obviously must be always handled with the utmost um, delicacy. And, and, and as I've mentioned, I'm no expert on this context. You know, I've not spent my entire life studying these works, so you know, I would advise you to take what I'm saying and continue studying these words from Jesus because they are deep and they will never be exhausted. So he opens uh, this teaching discourse with a, you know, with a warning. So if we go all the way back to uh, to chapter 24 to kind of build the context with us here, uh, we get this warning from him that nobody, to see to it that nobody leads you astray, right? That is the message that Christ opens this discourse with. It's not a, you know, fire and brimstone is going to fall from the heavens. The, you know, cats and dogs living together. It's the second time I made that reference now um but he he tells you straight out you see to it that nobody leads you astray many are going to come and they're going to perform signs they're going to perform wonders and they will continue to deceive you they will deliver a false gospel so be vigilant that you're not not led astray now i want to kind of pause on this piece because this is ex- this is extremely crucial these these warnings here now, uh, these are all leading up to, and we have witnessed in the span of the history of the church, many false teachings, many heresies, even, even that the apostles had to deal with in their time. So dealing with heresy is not a new thing. It's not you know, something that only happened for a brief period of time. It doesn't reside solely with the Roman Catholics. Heresy has been around literally since the days of uh, Peter and Paul and John. And even Jesus is giving us this warning to be ready and be prepared for him. Jesus then continues to tell them that they are going to face persecution. Uh, in fact, all of them will be delivered up and put to death. The only one that escapes it is John, but John was also tortured and, um, might as well have died considering what he went through, uh, in his, you know, in the torturing. So, Anywho, Jesus gives them this warning that they will face persecution. All of the nations will hate them. They will not encounter any friendly governments. But see, that this peace, this warning is directed towards them, but it also has implications to the Christian now and, and through the history of the church because nations literally hate us. We are persecuted, and in a lot of countries, Christianity is flat out outlawed. And you will be put to death for being a Christian. And interestingly enough, here in the States, we think we're persecuted when a post on Instagram gets deleted. Oh, I'm persecuted. Oh, oh t- woe is me. No, buddy. You're not. I'm sorry. And I've been saying this for, for for the last six to eight months or even longer. That you people in America don't understand what it really means to be persecuted. We think that. Oh, our Instagram page got blacklisted for twenty four hours and I can't post. Or oh, they, they, they blocked me or shut off my Facebook or Twitter account. Because you know, well, first of all, you're probably saying something that is in violation to whatever w- rules they have set up, which quite truthfully, most of these social media platforms are extremely uh, liberal leaning and they have terrible ideologies. So it doesn't take much for a Christian to do such. But you're not being persecuted. If you lose social media, you're not being persecuted. You are being persecuted when they drag you out of your house and beat you in the streets for being a Christian. When your family turns you over to the authorities and you get imprisoned and tortured for being a Christian, then you're being persecuted. But to catch a hangnail on your jeans and then cry about it for 12 minutes, you're not being persecuted. There's not any account here in the States that you, that Christians are being actively targeted, but across the world they are. And that's what Christians in America lack knowledge of is what is going on in the rest of the world. And it's quite, in my opinion, pathetic and disrespectful to the church. When we sit here and whine and cry about our freedoms being lost, you're a Christian. You don't get freedoms in this world per se. Your freedom comes from Christ. You don't get freedom because the government says you do. You get to live and 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 work and do the things in within that you know uh governmental setting, but you don't get the freedom to just do whatever you want and if your freedoms get uh taken away, that's still a part of that governmental system and so you shouldn't be whining about that because for the most part of the church history. Christians didn't have just the freedom to do and say and uh, whatever they want whenever they want. It's only a really kind of a recent uh, explosion here in the church history that here in America we get to pretty much do and say what we want for the most part. If you want to go and protest on the street corners for anything, you can do that. If you want to get online and protest and, and go against a, um, you know, a company or a position in ideology of of something, then absolutely you have that privilege. It, you know, the social media giants may not agree with you and they may just delete your post, but that's not going to stop you. So you're not being persecuted here in the States. And I just, I I, got to get on this soapbox because I see people whining about it and it's just, it's obnoxious. And I know, and I hope that those who listen to my show don't feel that way. They can see and witness the true persecution in the world because, see, I have people who listen to this show all over the world. And I get get metrics coming in from all of these countries that people listen to my show from, and I can look and see they're being persecuted there. The government is actively chasing people down and persecuting, imprisoning, torturing, killing Christians in these nations overseas. That is persecution. And so that is what Jesus is telling them that these disciples will face persecution. And not only that, but the Christians coming after them will be hated. They will, they will face death threats and, and hatred from the world. And the question I always have to ask is if somebody accused you of being a Christian today, would they have enough evidence for it? Could somebody come to your house, arrest you, put you on trial and accuse you of being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, could they have enough evidence to convict you? A cross on your wall doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. A Bible in your bedroom or office doesn't make you a Christian. The life that you live, the examples that you show, the blood that you shed, that is what makes you a Christian. All right, so enough of the ranting but I just wanted to spend a few minutes right and kind of hit that home because it really shows what the early church is doing in regards to what we're doing today. The early church, you would be put to death for being a Christian. You'd have to meet undercover at night in the woods, abandoned homes, catacombs, wherever you could find a safe place. That's where they met. And then today, we just meet in massive, you know, st- stadiums in some cases, huge auditorium stages. It's like a rock concert performance and it's quite obnoxious in most cases, right? So anyways, we, uh, move on here to Jesus giving us more false, uh, warnings against false teaching, telling us that the love will grow cold and lawlessness will become the norm. Obviously we see that with gay marriage, with abortion, with all of the ungodly living going on in the world right now. And this list really just goes on and on and on. And what's really sad and terrible is how churches have made that this particular sin to be okay. So because of this, Jesus has given us all of these warnings. And uh, for us to be vigilant, for us to be aware uh, of what's going on. He also tells us that there will be many who come in his name. Interestingly enough, many have throughout time have claimed to be the second coming of Christ. They have, recla- they have you know, uh, positioned themselves to uh, to their to their little f- groups of followers that they are the the Jesus Christ coming back in the flesh. And as we've noticed on previous episodes, that Jesus isn't going to come on and do TV interviews. He's not going to be doing news pieces or radio parts he's going to be shattering the skies the heavens will literally split open so as we've made in pre- prior weeks uh, the very bold claim as Jesus makes it nobody knows the date or time not a single person and so if somebody tells you that I have calculated when Jesus will return I know the exact minute moment, moment in time that the heavens will shatter or this rapture is going to come. Don't believe it because we know it to be false. Uh, so as Jesus continues to say that there will be days like the days of Noah, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. See, Noah preached for a hundred years before the floods came and everybody mocked and laughed at him as too we continue to preach today and people laugh and mock at us. So we get to last week's section and uh, we've talked in depth about the five, uh, the five wise virgins and the five foolish equaling the 10 virgin parable. So go back and listen to that one. Um, so we get to our text today. And, and again, because this is the last parable, we have one more piece. I wanted to provide a, you know, some context and do a little bit of ranting. And I wanted to just kind of build this up for us. So, uh, so we get to our text. So here, let's break it down. We have a landowner and he gives some talents to slaves. And in our text, now, as we've mentioned what a talent is, but in our text here, it's re- a reflection of money. It has some sort of monetary value. And we can break this down to understand that this parable is much deeper than money. It is much deeper than our ability um, with to, to possess investing skills, right? This isn't about who can make more money, who can double their profits or earn an additional, you know, wage or any of that sort. It is, um, it is simply not about that. And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, what we are getting here is that God is, uh, is in possession of distributing the skills and abilities to people. Some he possess he blesses with great math skills. Some he blesses to be uh, outstanding athletes, others to be, You know, preachers of his word, others to be doctors and nurses, firefighters, and men who fearlessly defend this country. Everybody has skill sets. And, you know, some he blesses to sing well and play instruments, and others like me, he does not. I am not a good singer. You don't want to hear this guy pipe a tune here. So, again, we go on and on. These are God's talents, but that's not necessarily what this text is ultimately referring to. As I said, it's not about the money. It's not about any of that. But we do start to see how some are given the ability to do something greater with what God has given them. So as a steward of what God has blessed you with, this is what the parable is a reflection of. It is a, both a reflection of God's ownership and you being a good steward. When you have the abilities or talents to use God gives you to do. You are doing this for the better of your neighbor. God gives you more and you will produce more. Interestingly enough, when the, um, the worker is given five talents, he goes out and, and invests and he makes 10 more. The text literally says here, uh, then he went away. He who had received the five talents went, went at once and traded with him and made five more talents. He didn't hesitate. He knew what he needed to do. This was his goal. To go out and cultivate more. He was blessed with some. He's going to go out and bless others and make more. It doesn't tell you how long it took him. It doesn't tell you what he had to do. The work he had to put in just simply says he went out and traded for more. So here's the thing. Let's note what this text is not telling you. This text is not telling you to go out and grow your talents. Or how to better use your talents. This is not a, hey, you, you better be. This is a. This is what is happening. This is a text that is telling us bluntly, this is what is going to happen by Christ coming and doing something to us. So this is a text that is saying, oh, you've got a skill. Well, you better be using it. Otherwise, you are going to be in deep trouble, buddy. That is not what this text is telling us at all. So in the text, the landowner gives gifts to his slaves, which in the, you know, the parable is a reflection of the landowner being God and his slaves being us. Uh, In the parable, the first two, he gives five talents and two talents respectively. And those two slaves go and double their talent. The third one is uh, just basically goes off and digs a hole, right? The third one is a wasteful and wicked servant. So when the landowner comes back, he congratulates the first two, declares them to be faithful servants, and he rewards them with more. The first two are trustworthy. They are faithful. They believe in the purpose. Faithful must be more than just an appropriate description of these two servants. See, we can't just say that they were faithful, that they were trustworthy, they were obedient, they were believing. They were not living up to the potential, but given the power by God to do the works and share the works. See that? They were simply servants, and God gave them the tools necessary, and they were able to go off and do the work needed. Now, this parable, obviously, God is the landowner in this case. The last servant here receives backlash for his actions, for digging a hole and throwing the talent in there. And instead of sharing his gift, he squanders it. So this person out of fear hides their gift. They are working out of fear and self preservation. They expect God to be a demander, not a giver. And this text opens the landowner, AKA God gives. This doesn't say that the landowner demands or the landowners loaning, but he is giving and it is God's stuff that is given and he's come to demand it back. The servant feared that he would lose it and therefore buries it for safekeeping. The first two, they take it and just go and do the work. See, remember that text there back in uh, verse 16? He who had received the five talents went at once and traded for them. So he who had also made two talents made two talents more. There's no hesitation here. There's no you know, oh, I'm going to have to write a game plan and get on a budget and see what I can do. No, they just go and do it. They just went out and did the work, not caring for the outcome. They didn't fear the what would happen. They could have, I mean, think about it this way. The the, the lazy and slothful servant, and I'm just, just looking at this text uh, from my perspective, Let's say he goes and digs that hole, right? He buries it and keeps the one talent for himself because he fears what the landowner is going to do. But let's say the the um, the servant who had five talents he goes out, trades, and, uh, and he loses one talent. You know, in, in all of his work, he loses one talent. So when God comes back and demands it, he comes forward and says, God, you know, I, I was out, I was working, and I only had four talents. You think God would still be mad at him? The landowner would still be mad at him for going out and cultivating that? But see, that's not what we're given in the text, right? We're not given that the two servants lose anything. They don't fear the outcome. They go and they cultivate. See, what this text is telling us is that when we are given a talent from God, we will not lose that talent, but that we will enrich others around us with that talent or that skill. Now, obviously, in this perspective, in this parable, we know that a talent is money. And we know that the landowner is a landowner, right? That's the parable. But there's meaning behind it. So the parable points us to the landowner being God, and these talents are being gifts that God has given us. And what we get to is with this last servant. Says to the Lord, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. The Lord calls him evil and wicked. He was wicked because he had Satan in his ear, causing him to doubt and live in fear and laziness. And sadly, this happens even to us to live as Peter did, acting in self preservation, telling Jesus that he would not go, would not let Jesus go to the cross. Remember Matthew 16? Just a few chapters ago, Peter acts out in self-preservation. Stands up to Jesus and says, I will not let you go to the cross. I will stand and fight for you. And then he turns around and denies Christ three times. So when you take your talents that God has provided, it's often sometimes we can become lazy. We can squander what we have been given. And we can live in fear and uncertainty. If you're a parent, are you afraid how to serve your child best? Do you squander your gifts for them? Or do you open every possible door that you can to give them the best life possible? If you're a doctor or a nurse or teacher and you've gone through all the schooling and education to develop the skills that you have, do you harbor those? Or do you share them selfishly with everybody that you can See, the faithful in this text, they didn't seek a reward. They didn't look and see how they can profit and and keep, keep, uh, keep a little cash for themselves here. They did not care for that outcome. They went out and invested their talents. And as just as we are called to go out and invest our talents and our gifts to help others. It's not about the money. It's not about the monetary reward. It's not about seeking fame or glory or having a stage to perform on. Now, there are some people who are exceptional athletes or exceptional musicians or extraordinarily brilliant people, and they can use those gifts to entertain and to further help the world and community around them. And in those cases, if you have a gift that is in dire need, sure, get paid for it. I'm not saying that not to be paid you know, in, in respect to whatever gift you have, but know that you are a steward of that gift and God will come back and demand it. But here's some questions to ask yourselves here. Did God say that he was going to provide for us? The world seems to always be crumbling around into disorder and chaos, but God's promise will always stand firm. He provides, he gives, he sustains us. And I think that's the amazing thing with this passage is we really kind of just look at it from a, from a high view is that God is going to provide. And I think the one thing that's that Christians really get caught up on and especially those in in some of these, you know, more reformed circles is they miss out on this action of God giving. They, they look at God as being a demander because they, because it's. Demanding of my, my faith or my belief, my repentance, um, my obedience to the law and and whatever, uh, you know, ability that they would kind of roll that ball into. But they miss the fact that God is a giver long before God is a demander. God gave his only son to the world. God gave the world to us. In Genesis 1 and 2, he formed the world and made Adam and Eve. God is a God of giving. And I think that's something that we sometimes lose when we want to try to be as meticulously legalistic as possible. Because we want to sound like God isn't really just giving us this free gift of faith. There's got to be something attached to it, doesn't it? We got to think, well, well, then I better repent. I better believe. And even those are actions that God gives us. That's another episode for another day. But I want to go back to this parable. The key phrase to our text, as I've mentioned, is that God is giving. God gave. He didn't come in demanding. He didn't come in taking take anything. But he gave. This is the promise in our text. The Faithful have been given faith. They were given an abundance of their gift to just go out and do. They went out, and they invested their gift, and they doubled it. Those who have gifts from God have also been given the same power to just go and do. Christ said that after he goes, he'll send the Helper, who we know is to be the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us this power to go out and do. God does not lie. His promises hold us true, and he calls us to go out and live an abundant life in faith. See, the problem with the prosperity gospel is when we use words like abundance, they think literally in financial abundance or in wealth and health abundance. But no, when we are to live abundantly, it is in service to the Lord, doing what the Lord has called us to do. That is to go out and share the gospel. That is to be a loving neighbor to our to our spouse, to our kids, to to the community, to everybody around us, to give and live selfishly, to give everything we can to further the kingdom of God. And so I I, I don't know how I can sum up this, uh, you know, this text any better. There's not a ton of notes on it. It's a very straightforward, um, you know, uh, parable. And, I mean, you could probably interpret the talents a little differently. Everybody kind of has... a different idea of, of how this may, you know, kind of unfold. But I think it's fairly simple here. We see, we see it straight up that, you know, if, if the landowner, as we have seen in other parables is in fact, God, and we see that God is a giving God and he's in, in this particular instance, giving a financial blessing to these servants and those servants then go out and double the money. It's to understand that we are still but stewards and we are still only but keepers of what God has given us. And so and that's where the, the, you know, the prosperity gospel f- utterly fails and, amongst many other areas too. But see, they are trying to position you to think that you deserve this stuff and that God is just, he 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 owes it to us. To bless us financially. And that's just a bunch of malarkey. God doesn't owe us anything. The the amazing beauty of the gospel. Is that God is a giving God. And he gives us freely. Our daily bread. But that's not a financial daily bread. It's the means to sustain us. Through the seasons and trials of life. And sometimes it may be. A financial blessing or a windfall. That we need. But don't count on it. Anyways. I think it's a pretty straightforward parable as we come to the closing here in this uh, Olivet Discourse. But I also think it helps us to understand that in the greater context of this discourse, right? We we talk about faith from the parable of the, the 10 virgins. We get down to these last couple of verses here in 28 and 30. Oh, actually, we even go back here, right? Because the master comes uh, even earlier. The master comes and he demands... What is his? That's what's going to happen when Christ shatters the clouds and the heavens. He is going to demand that his people come home. So be aware of that. Be on the thinking process of that. If you hear this parable used in any other means than in an eschatological perspective or in a manner of God giving us gifts for us to bless others with, then you are probably listening to false teaching. Now, you, you know, if you're listening to a, um, you know, sermon or somebody talk about this text and they're talking about, you know, blessings and things like that, be very cognizant of it because people can manipulate and often do manipulate this particular text to mean other things. So I'm going to wrap it on that. Next week we will close out the Olivet Discourse and I've got to go find a phone charger because the charger I grabbed, um, either the the power brick is dead on it or my, my new cable's dead, which is kind of a bummer because I kind of like having a 10-foot cable laying around my house. So, (laughs) because then I can, you know, just plug it in at any wall and it goes anywhere, right? But I don't know. I got to figure this thing out. So that's going to be it for me this week, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed this uh, episode. And again, thank you for tuning in. And, you know, we are on all major platforms. So if you catch us on Audible... Uh, You can catch us on iTunes, Google Play, or whatever the Google store is now. I don't know where they're at with uh, podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. If you have the ability to rate and review, please do so because that helps get visibility for the show to get out into the world. So um, make sure you check us out on those platforms. Share us with your friends and your colleagues. And uh, we will see you next week to wrap up this portion of the all the discourse, guys. Have a blessed week and we'll see you all later.